from GreenBiz Group. Welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCower here at GreenBiz headquarters at 350 Frankogawa Plaza in downtown Oakland, California. On this week's edition, what Standing Rock means to millennials, the view from COP22, and oh, what about that whole election thing? It's a change of climate for sure, this week on 350. It's November 11th, 2016, Veterans Day for some people. Welcome to this week's edition of Green Biz 350. I'm the veteran of sustainability, Joel McCower. Here, as always with me, is senior writer Lauren Hepler. Lauren, how the heck are you? A uh, busy week, to say the least, I think. How are you feeling? Well, you know, let's confess that we're actually uh, doing this podcast recording uh, on Wednesday, November 9th, the morning after uh, the night before. So we're all still reeling. I mean, it's been, uh, you know, a shock, and I don't think anybody's that's news to anybody. But, um, you know, so we're all just trying to figure out well, what the heck does this mean? Um and you know how do we uh, how do we think about the future, uh, personally, professionally, and I guess patriotically? So mm-hmm. you know, how about from your end? Yeah, I mean, it was quite a night. I was at a bar in the uh, not a not quite politically neutral Berkeley, California, <laughs> where uh, definitely some shock waves uh, going around. But yeah, I think it's sort of. Now that people are sort of stepping back, it's like, all right, um, so we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about opening up oil drilling everywhere. We've talked about, I think the phrase was canceling the Paris Agreement. So just how the heck does this all play out? Well, that's the big question. How the heck does this all play out? So let's talk about more of that in the Week in Review. Joel, one thing it was nice to wake up and read on a Wednesday morning this week was an open letter to the Green Biz community. I'm imagining you, you put that together late on election night. Is that right? Uh, kind of, actually. About two in the morning, I couldn't sleep. And, and I'll tell you what spurred it. Um, sometime around uh, 10, 11 o'clock uh, election night, uh, maybe it was about 8, 9 o'clock um, Pacific time, uh, you know, we all sort of knew or could see the writing on the wall. And, and all of a sudden on Slack, which is our company uh, group messaging service, uh, which people don't tend to be on at night. It's really a business time kind of thing. Um, uh, one of our, I won't name names, but one of our, our colleagues, you know, just popped up and said, is anyone else having trouble breathing right now? And I'll, you know, then there was this outpouring, you know, me, yeah, I'm pretty close to imploding, shocked. Anyway, what happened is, is that people, it just became clear to me that, that my people were hurting, you know, that the Green Biz team was, was concerned and frightened and just didn't know what to do. And so, you know, and there's a lot of millennials like you, Lauren, and, and people who haven't, you know, been that been 
through as many of these cycles and elections and wins and losses as some of the rest of us. And so I, as I was lying in bed trying to sleep, and I jumped out of bed finally about 2 a.m. and said, you know what, I'm going to write the letter with just a little perspective saying, A, this sucks. It's a gut punch. Uh, you know, as I said, a stunning and devastating and indictment of decency, fairness, and inclusion that's going to reverberate in a lot of ways that we can't even yet imagine. But, you know, the other part of it was the conviction that, you know, the work that we all do in sustainability, whatever that is, whether it's sustainable business or any other part of that, and not just the environmental piece, has never been more important. And that, you know, this is a moment to double down and 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 work harder, dig deeper, and all of that. And um, I thought that was an important thing to say. Uh, and then the other part was that you know, uh, you know, I, I remember as people of my generation, or not even not that old, even some of the people young, much younger, remember two thousand when we had this, you know. It's what some people considered us frat boy, you know, with, you know, ignorant frat boy from Texas, uh, draft dodger named George W. Bush, who, you know, who beat this thoughtful, decent and progressive vice president in a race that was even closer than the one in 2016. And, and you know, and at the time, you know, we a lot of us, you know, how is the country going to survive four years of George W. Bush. Uh, it just didn't mm -hmm. seem possible. And, you know, here we are. We did it. We survived. And, you know, and the first year of that was 9-11. And, you know, and that changed a lot of things. And, you know, and so, you know, we lost some time. We bounced back. We had a – it ended all in a great recession. And we've, you know, now on our footing. And now we've got, you know, another plane crashing into our national edifice called Donald Trump. And, um, you know, I guess we're all sort of feeling that same sense of despair. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, our managing editor, Elsa Wenzel, uh, also did a service this morning. She, she wrote a roundup piece called Sustainability Voices React to Donald Trump's Victory. Uh, a lot of a lot of what she was pulling um, from folks like Peggy Ward, who's a PhD. I feel like I'm back in grad school trying to prove myself as a woman. So a lot of sort of identity issues that I think uh, are, are sure to sort of be top of mind for a lot of people. Um, Richard Branson saying, bright spark from the U.S. elections, progress to end the failed war on drugs. So some people are looking at other issues, sort of trying to divert attention away from the presidential race. Um, and then, of course, the, some of the analysis is also starting on what does this actually mean from a policy perspective for clean energy and climate change. Pretty stunning that this is happening uh, while COP22 is going on in Marrakesh, which I know we'll get into more later in the episode. Yeah. And, and I think the answer is nobody really knows because Donald Trump and his campaign didn't really present a lot of policies. I mean, he presented some that were pretty extreme and he may or may not carry them out, but we don't really know what he's going to do. And, you know, there, there's um, this could go in any number of directions from from not horrible to really, really horrible to maybe even, you know, shaking up the system in some ways that need to be done. But the last thing I'll say, and I think it's it's really important and, and it's, it was the point of of the letter that I wrote, which I then turned into a piece that's that we ran on Green Biz, 
uh, an open letter to the GreenBiz community, is that, you know, those of us who work in sustainability are a pretty optimistic bunch. And, you know, you have to be. I mean, you show up every day with a vision of a better world, a positive future. Uh, we can do this. There's solutions out there. We know what they are and let's make them happen. And, um, you know, you try to do that as realistically as 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 possible uh, and not be Pollyannish about it. But, um, you know, no president, no person is going to take that away from us. And I think that that's what we're going to all have to rely on going forward is, you know, how do we harness that optimism, that can-do profession, uh, uh, can-do professionalism um, in a way, in, in a time of so much frustration and setback and despair. I mean, that's going to be the big test of us while the rest of the country and frankly, the rest of the world is being tested by everything else. Mm-hmm. I feel like this episode is a little bit of like group therapy right now. This is very helpful. <laughs> but I also did want to jump in. Our senior writer, Heather Clancy, has been very busy looking at the state level. Uh, a lot of important ballot fights going on on everything from carbon taxes to a utility-backed solar measure in Florida. So let's jump into a quick rundown of what happened across the country last night at the state level. Joining us now to talk a little bit about that is our senior writer, Heather Clancy. How's it going, Heather? Hey, I'm okay here in New Jersey. <laughs> uh, so so tell us a little bit about what you've been working on amidst the, the overall question marks sort of surrounding the national picture. Right. So, you know, as we know, and, and this kind of irked me about the debates, they didn't really talk about climate much at all at the, at the at the uh, presidential level, if you will, but there was a lot of legislation on the uh, the state ballot. So I guess the, probably the one that um, a lot of people were watching most closely was the carbon tax in Washington State, KA Initiative Seven Three Two. It was um, a general fee of like fifteen dollars per metric ton on car- carbon dioxide, and then it was had a sliding scale. It was going to over time um, going to kind of kick in and get deeper and deeper. The money that that was being um, generated by this proposal or would have been generated by this proposal is going to go to reduce the sales tax and to um, basically aid for low-income families, um, not for renewables, which which is actually one of the reasons that a lot of people were against it. Um, if you looked at it, you know, people thought, hey, it was kind of an interesting attempt and an interesting attempt to put this on the the table, but the structure of this particular initiative is what killed it in the in the in the long run. People felt that it didn't go far enough; that it should really be focused on um, raising money for renewables and, and other environmental issue, initiatives. Yeah, I saw uh, Vian Trong, who we know in Oakland. She's the director of Green for All. It sounds mm-hmm. like her group was opposed. Yeah, I mean, again, and it was because of this, the way that it was set up that I mentioned before is a kind of a sales tax. There was a sales tax reduction for the state that was going to happen, but also it was going to go into tax cuts for for businesses sort of. um, And and so people just felt it was the wrong kind of focus um, for the for the bill. And, you know, I do believe, frankly, that it's going to come back. Um, in some form, they, and and I think that that I'm not the only person that shares that view. It's um, it's a tax that uh, people feel in that state are is an is an interesting necessary um, statement, if you will. But uh, I don't think we've seen the last of it. Um, I you, you know if you want to flip gears too, there was a lot of solar 
<laughs> there were a lot of solar um, amendments or kicking around in various places. The, the most, probably the most notable of which was in Florida. And it, it was notable because it was written in a way that was kind of confusing. So like on a face of it, it looked to be a pro-solar bill, but actually if it had been passed, it would have really limited the right of individuals to own or lead, you know, to own panels on their own, would put a lot of the uh, power back into the hands of utilities. So that was defeated, um, which is kind of interesting when you consider that state actually went for um, Donald Trump, which who does doesn't believe in solar mm-hmm. <laughs> subsidies or initiatives of any of any point. But I guess the, the, in my story, uh, the point that I was making with including that particular initiative was that, you know. This man who has claimed and wants to kill a lot of these things had better do his homework, finally. Um, I don't know if he's actually read about what he's talking about, but um, in this case, he really needs to pay attention to the state-level interest and, and in embrace of, of solar and wind uh, plans and, and, and things to help with development. Yeah, and it is interesting to think about sort of the different segments of the business world represented, uh, both mm-hmm. opposing and in support of some of these measures. Um, mm-hmm. like you mentioned sort of the issue with corporate exemptions, sort of ruffling some feathers when it comes to a carbon tax. And then mm-hmm. obviously in Florida, you had utilities as the major opponent spending to defeat that measure. Um, but <laughs> in Nevada, the, uh, the, the, the referendum that was, was up for consideration there had to do with decreasing the power of utilities, and that one passed. Um, so the 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 situation there has been that there's a lot of um, organizations, like big companies, including, if you will, um, like MGM, um, a lot of casino companies. Uh, the, there's huge casino operations. The, uh, Tesla, right? They're building their gigafactory there, and these organizations wanted to see the utilities have less. Um, say over over what what um, the, the businesses could do with with clean power. So there was there were a lot, number of casinos that actually had to pay a lot to get off the grid, if you will, to to invest in their own clean power alternatives. And the the measure that was passed there lets consumers and businesses have more choice. It um, basically puts an end to the monopoly power that uh, the utility there had. It's, it's it's creating an open. I wouldn't say it's deregulation, but it's creating a, a more open market. Mm-hmm. It really is interesting to see a lot of these measures. The commonality seems to be um, just honing in on business models for, to sort of unlock uh, some mm-hmm. of the, the clean mm-hmm. power initiatives. Good point. Yeah, that, and it's sort mm-hmm. of some of them are going to fail, some of them are going to pass. Uh, I also think it's interesting to scale up. Obviously, the the elections going on in the U.S. happened against the backdrop of the climate talks going on in Marrakesh at COP22. Um, and it, it seems like in some respects, there are sort of similar issues that have to be hashed out. How do you deal um, with smaller nations as opposed to more developed industrial nations? It, it's, there's financial measures and sort of business interests that are going to come into play in a lot of this stuff. And so I guess we'll see mm-hmm. see what survives and what maybe needs to go back to the drawing board. Well, so maybe what will survive is the is this, the initiatives that make it simpler for businesses to do things without necessarily, you know, dedicating public money to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just the idea of creating a op- more open market and then letting the, the businesses have at it and, and make their own, you know, define their own models. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll link to this story so everyone can read more. It was called President-Elect Trump Should Heed These State Mandates. But I hear you're also working on another sort of election-related story. Can you give us a quick preview of that? 
<laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've read plenty and I'm sure you have over the last 48 hours about, um, the, the sort of horrible environmental agenda that, um, president elect Trump is, is laying out. And in fact, again, if, for those of you who were listening before the election, he's pretty much pledged to get rid of every executive order that has to do with, um, with, with climate. So that means a clean power plan that, um, elsewhere in a more deep, in sort of a more fundamental way, he wants to dismantle the environmental protection agency. And so I've read a lot of, of, you know, sort of dismayed and woe, you know, stories about this. And, and, uh, and, and certainly they give my stomach, they make my stomach turn. But what I'm trying to do is, is look at how, um, we can get ahead of that agenda and, um, and come up with ways of really, of really thwarting them, if you will, or trumping Trump. <laughs> um, the fact is so many of the things he's, he wants to kill are, uh, some of them are just really actually not even necessary anymore. Like, like, okay, the clean power plan, great. I mean, I'm not going to say it's not necessary, but however, there's a lot of market fundamentals that, that maybe are going to keep, keep that thing in motion, even though he's going to take it off the table. I, um, you know, I think the, the, the interests in, in coal and, and, you know, great. If we can, um, I know he wants to make coal mining more prevalent in the United States again. Great. Well, who's going to buy it? Um, you know, there's got to be buyers, and I think um, in many ways he's he's uh, sort of overlooking that part of the equation. Um, there's a lot of reasons why energy companies aren't investing in oil and coal like they have, and it's not just because the government is making it harder. It's because the market is is pushing in another direction. Mm -hmm. Well, lots of moving parts here. We'll all stay tuned for that article coming out likely early next week. Senior writer Heather Clancy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Lauren, for asking me on. So it's the end of day two in Marrakesh, Morocco, and uh, talking with Nigel Topping, the CEO of We Mean Business Coalition, holding down the business voice in Marrakesh. Um, good day, Nigel. Nigel, how's it going over there? Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Good to speak with you, Joel. So talk a little bit about what's going on and, and what the conversation's uh, been about. Uh, you know, last time, last year in Paris, COP21, it was all about coming up with an agreement. Now this is about uh, what? Well, what is the conversation about? Well, it's really, it's all about implementation, right? And, and, it's, and in a way, it's, a, it's, it's not such an exciting conversation. It's not so much tension. You know, in Paris, it was all about, will we get a deal and will it be ambitious enough? Um, because now we know that we have got a deal and it's much more ambitious than anyone expected a year ago. And it's been ratified so early um, the conversation is really about the mechanics of implementation, both at the for businesses, but also for the the policymakers that are, that are here in Marrakesh. So, give me an example of the kinds of details that need to be worked out. What are some of the issues that you're focusing on? Well, um, the early entry into force of the agreement itself has actually created some um, some organisational challenges, which the um, the the, the 
negotiators are working on right now. It was never actually anticipated. You know, no agreements ever come into force so quickly in less, you know, in less than 12 months. So normally there, there'd be a bit more of a on ramp to figure out how to go about implementing the next phase. So there are there are there are some detailed rules to be worked out. For example, around how the um, the review mechanism, the, the so-called stock take, will take place in 2018, which will be the preliminary to countries coming back in 2020 with um, enhanced ambition. Can you explain uh, what stock take so means? Yeah, so that part see, one of the, some of the genius of the Paris Agreement was that it invited ambition from the bottom up from all countries, which is one of the ways in which it allowed consensus. Um, but as you know, the if you add up all the country plans, they put us on a trajectory like 2.7 degrees, whereas the Paris ambition is for well below two degrees or even 1.5 degrees. So there's a gap to be closed. So the additional thing which, um, the additional mechanism which the Paris Agreement puts in place is a ratchet mechanism, which says that every five years, the countries will review plans and progress and then come back with um, revised plans to close the gap. So that first review takes place in 2018. And then the first ratchet, so where countries come back with um, raised ambition will be in 2020. Also, the German government are um, in the final process of publishing their plans for 2050. And they've just, it looks like they're going to commit to a 95% reduction by 2050. So the near complete decarbonization of their economy by 2050. So then that rat, that ratchet process then t- will take place every five years. So review in 2018, ratcheted plans in 2020, next review in 2023, next ratcheted plans in 2025. And it will keep going like that down the track until we decide that we've finished, I guess. So finally, what's the role you want to see business take going on, uh, ongoing from from here, um, not just in, around the negotiations, but what would help you and, and whether the members of the, of the We Mean Business Coalition or not, what are you asking of business to do to help the COP process unfold as as expeditiously as possible i think there are three things joel um i'd say commit demonstrate and advocate so commitments straightforward you know it's walmart committing to a science-based target it's apple committing to 100 percent renewable energy um and we now see hundreds of companies making those commitments commitments not just to incremental change but to the full transition that sends a very strong signal to policymakers in and of itself. It gives them political cover to be bolder themselves. Second thing, increasingly important to follow those commitments with action is demonstrate. Um, so demonstrate that the commitments are being followed up with action, that investment is flowing, that emissions are reducing. I mean, CDP have just published its first of what we now see will be an annual review of that of that progress. And then finally, advocate, make, make clear what the policy changes um, that will be needed to support business as a partner in that transformation. Some of those within the COP process, there's a thing called the technical examination process, which will have businesses and policymakers talk about policymakers needed. Some of those outside the process, um, for example, on carbon pricing, um, and some of those at the national level to make sure that the this five-year cycle I've just talked about sees countries commit to their own version of a science-based target so that the the overall framework of emissions reductions at the country level is something which businesses can very clearly use to to drive innovation in products and services to take carbon out of the economy. Commit, demonstrate, advocate. I like it. Um, 
Nigel Topping, CEO of We Mean Business Coalition. Thanks for taking some time to talk to us from COP22. You're welcome, Joel. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks. One of the pieces we ran last week was a really nice uh, piece by a new voice on Green Biz, uh, Sean Dean Cedar, uh, from the sales and marketing side of Green Biz. It's called Our Companies Listening to Standing Rock. Uh, I wanted to talk about that, and here she came all the way down the hall to Green Biz Studio. Uh, welcome, Sean Dean. Thank you for having me, Joel. So tell us a little bit about the piece you wrote and what led you to write this? First of all, what it's about and, and why you decided to do this. So as many probably have heard about Standing Rock and the protest that's going on up there right now, um, it kind of struck a chord with me as I'm half Navajo um, on my dad's side, originally from Northern Arizona. Um, so everything that was going on up there definitely struck something inside of me and I had to do my research to figure out what what was going on and kind of the larger implications of the movement um, and all of the interesting things that it sparked. The article basically just outlines a little bit what's going on and the fact that it's not just a protest, it's uh, more of a commentary on the shift that's happening in society where people are demanding triple bottom line evaluation of corporations interacting with people and the environment. So a lot of people who read it were really touched by it, I have to say, people both in this company and, and people who I didn't know I ran into at the BSR conference last week and, and others who just said there was a really nice piece and, and very touched by it, um, by someone speaking about their heritage and their culture. What are some of the responses you've had to the piece? So I've, def I've had um, some really great feedback, um, some positive things um, that I've heard were people like the fact that it didn't really focus on what what was going on up there um, day to day. It was more about, um, like I said, the overarching um, implications of the movement and kind of um, that statement. Um, on, an, on the negative side, um, which is always great to have commentary on that side as well. People were really concerned about the movement's implication on oil and gas jobs. And, and some people thought that, that it was, it's a commentary on the war on people's livelihoods in the oil and gas industry, which is definitely a fair point. My opinion is definitely, it's hard to address that um, because it is a fair point. But uh, at this point, I'm just happy that people are talking um, about both sides and um, the pros and cons of, of the movement towards renewables and, and the process in general. But this isn't just an environmental story, and it's not even the environment versus jobs. This is about a people and its culture, your culture, as it turns out. And, and talk a little bit about it from that perspective in terms of what dimension that added to, to your interest in this story. And, and what do you think people should take away from this from the perspective of Native cultures? Well, first of all, Native cultures it is definitely beautiful, strong heritage um, that I've grown to more embrace recently. And I think that it's appropriate that they're becoming the face of this protest and kind of um, the voice for environmental protection that has seen so much support as of late. One of the things we talked about in the article was the role of millennials and, and business and, and the environment. Talk a little bit about 
what you said and and think should you know people should understand about millennials and you know as it relates to this protest and beyond yeah so as as a millennial i can definitely speak to the fact that businesses and, and corporations are definitely going to see and I, I say in the article that there's this approaching tidal wave of um, shifting mentalities and, and part of that group is our, our millennials um, and i can definitely attest to that the, the process of me coming into environmentalism, definitely a, a good stereotype in, in that regard. Me and my friends and, and people I went to school with demanding that um, we get more out of our jobs and, and where we get our products from, all of that um, taking into account more than the typical, you know, price, you know, there has to be some sort of other aspects going into it that tell us that our jobs are contributing to something that mean that is meaningful, and that our products are um, environmentally um, sound. So, since you've written this piece, um, has anything noteworthy happened? Yes. So recently, the United Nations actually got involved and sent a representative out to um, assess the um, violations on human human rights and in indigenous cultures. So that was a great great thing to see, and. They were actually really surprised. I mean, these reps go to countries all over the world and, and they're assessing um, these violations and, and they were uh, genuinely surprised that, that this sort of thing is happening in the United States of all places. Um, so you, you guys can research that and, and read up on that. Yeah, and some more celebrity endorsements is great. The cast of the Avengers came out um, in support and they've been providing solar panels to the people that are camped out there, which is, uh, I think, ironically... Great, great to hear um, that they're they're being powered by solar and, and just great commentary towards everything that's going on up there. Nice little bit of symbolism. Well, thanks, Shandine, for bringing this to our attention and the and, and to the readers of of GreenBiz and your perspective on this. Um, I hope it's not just the first article. I, I mean, I hope it's more than just the first article. That it's first of many that you're going to write for us because we uh, it's a great voice that you have, and I uh, look forward to hearing. Much more. Um, Shandine Cedar from Sales and Marketing side of GreenBiz Group. Thanks, Shandine. Thanks for having me. Well, that's our 350 podcast for this week. Uh, go to greenbiz.com slash 350 and you'll find links to the stories, the organizations, some of the events that we've mentioned in this episode. Uh, thanks to our podcast director, Soraya Melkonian. Uh, send us an email. Love, love to hear your thoughts and ideas. 350 at greenbiz.com. We always love to hear from you. Um, by the way, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd be grateful if you could tell others about it. Help spread the word via Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Carrier Pigeon, or any other means at your disposal. Um, and in any case, we'll see you back here next week for another edition of GreenBiz 350. Until then, from all of us here at GreenBiz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, have a great day. <music>